Whether you're an entrepreneur, event planner, political organizer, video producer, cattle farmer, fashion designer, architect, real estate agent, or magazine editor, Airtable can help you create your way. Learn more and get a special offer for the Founders Project listeners at Airtable.com slash Founders Project. Welcome to Inc.'s The Founders Project with Alexa Von Tobel. I'm Alexa, the founder of LearnVest, author of New York Times bestselling book, Financially Fearless, and second book, Financially Forward. I'm also the founder and managing partner of Inspired Capital, a venture firm focused on the entrepreneurs of the future. Each week, we sit down with a top founder to share their story of guts, inspiration, and drive. This week, we have Daniel Schreiber, the co-founder and CEO of Lemonade, the renters and homeowners insurance company that has emerged as a massive fintech superstar. Daniel is an experienced tech leader who formerly held executive roles at PowerMat and SanDisk. Through the new insurance world, Daniel has already led Lemonade to unicorn status and is fundamentally changing the process of buying insurance. I also just happen to think he's an incredibly cool and lovely guy, thoughtful and wonderful. Let's welcome Daniel to the show. Hi, Daniel. Hi, Alexa. Fabulous to be with you. Thank you. Fabulous to be with you. So let's just dive right in. In your own words, what is Lemonade? So Lemonade is a new kind of insurance company. We're built from scratch, from the ground up, using artificial intelligence and behavioral economics to change just about everything you know about insurance. So if you're in the US or increasingly in Europe or other places and you need to buy homeowners or renters or other kinds of insurance, you go to an app, 90 seconds later, you're insured. Did you hear that? You go to an app and 90 seconds later, you're insured. Um, Daniel, walk us through the Lemonade story. Where did you come up with the idea you hadn't prior? Insure tech is obviously very sexy and very cool, or at least I like to think it's sexy and cool, given that I was once an insurance executive. But um, how did you make your way into the insurance world? And walk us through a little bit more of the contours of you starting Lemonade. Sure. And yeah, I'm not sure it reflects on either of us that we think insurance and insure tech <laughs> is cool, but... <laughs> Night to everybody, run. <laughs> um, so we founded the company four years ago, almost to the day. It was in the summer of 2015, and it was done by myself and my co-founder, Shai Widinger. And Shai is by an order of magnitude the coolest guy I've ever worked with. And I've been doing this for 20-something years. He's just an outstanding talent, um, somebody who can truly combine design and consumer experience and use of language and imagery with deep technology, machine learning, data disciplines. And those two just never come together. So it's magic when it does. And just over four years ago, he and I met. We were introduced by a common friend. And we were thinking about what do we want to do next? And we've both been tech entrepreneurs for, you know, since the late 90s, since the first kind of bubble. And we were trying to think about, could we do something that would be meaningful, that would feel good about getting out of bed in the morning and, and doing something that we felt was impactful beyond just being a technology success or a commercial success. And we started looking at all different sectors. Um, and insurance was not the obvious place to go at all. But when we encountered it, we stopped in our tracks. And what we found is a space that has three things that just never come together. So the first is it is huge by any standard, whether you look at household penetration rates or at um, percentage of GDP in the US, the kind of insurance that we do accounts for 11% of GDP. You're talking about a $5 trillion market worldwide. So wow. when you're an entrepreneur, an investor, whoever it is, that's big. That's huge. Yeah. In the US, 12 of the Fortune 100 are insurance companies. 
And the average age is 125 years old. So that was kind of the second piece of seeing that it is dominated by the same players that dominated before we had antibiotics and air conditioning and airplanes. So it is an unchanged thing, which is the second thing. In addition to technology and the internet and mobile phones. Not to mention not, all of those Not to things. mention <laughs> those important things. Yeah, and it, and it really is a byproduct of the industrial revolution or the scientific revolution, and it's managed to survive every other revolution kind of unchanged. So that was exciting for us. And then the third piece is you say, okay, it's huge and it's unchanged, but if it ain't broken, don't fix it. And of course, it's deeply broken. It's one of the least trusted sectors in the entire economy. It may be one of the largest, but it's also one of the least trusted. And consumers buy it because somebody makes them buy it or they have to buy it. But no brand really stands out as lovable, trusting, delightful. These are not words that come up when you play the word association game with insurance. So when we saw that, that kind of holy trinity, huge, unchanged and unloved, we stopped in our tracks and said, wow, we've got to do something about it. And what we did was we didn't learn about insurance. So two tech entrepreneurs who have you know high school probability theory at best and a consumer's perspective on insurance but nothing more trying to take on the world of insurance and what we said to ourselves is we need some first principles thinking here we've got to go back to the drawing board and actually asking or reading um, about the industry will color what we think about it in ways that will make it much harder to innovate and instead of that we took a shared office space with a whiteboard in it and we spent two months saying, okay, we understand consumers, we understand the sharing economy, we understand technology. How would we build an insurance company today? And what we sketched out on the board way back when bears more than a passing resemblance to how Lemonade operates today. That's so amazing. In fact, one of my favorite things when you guys launched was on your homepage, it literally said, forget everything you know about insurance. And still I think, does. And it still does. Um, <laughs> In your own words, what did that outside in, that outsider point of view, not really to your point, you hadn't sat inside an insurance company, what advantage did that give you? There's a few things, some of which were obvious to us at the, at the get-go and some of which we've been able to layer on top as we dig in. Um, the one that was striking to us is that insurance is a social good at a fundamental level. It is at a mathematical level, a community of people pooling their funds to help the weakest members in the hour of need, which is almost the textbook definition of a social good. But the perception of insurance is very different. You go to the Urban Dictionary and you type in the word insurance, and it says a promise to pay later that is never fulfilled. And that gives you, yeah, the pulse of the people, what they really think about insurance. You don't need surveys, just go to the Urban Dictionary. I didn't know that. That's dictionary. incredible. <laughs> that is a, such an interesting fact. Sorry, keep going. So we were intrigued by that dichotomy, that delta between what it is at a fundamental level and its perception. And we realized that insurance is, is staffed by good people, people who get out of bed in the morning and want to do good in the world. And the problem in our telling isn't the players, rather, it's the game. And one of the things that we'd come to really appreciate is that incentives matter, business models matter, um, structures matter. And insurance is at a fundamental level flawed in that way, because when you make a claim of, of me, you claim $1,000. If I pay you that $1,000, my underwriting profit goes down by $1,000. So you're a thousand richer, but I'm a thousand poorer. If I decline your claim, it's the other way around. And at a fundamental level, there's a business model problem, which is we're fighting over the same coin. And if my bottom line is fattened by me declining claims, that's going to be very difficult for me to convince you that I'm really on your side and that I'm denying your claim for reasons that are unrelated to the fact that I'm going to get my bonus this year. 
And then it brings out the devil in you because if you feel like you've been paying in month in, month out, year in, year out, and now that the damn fire destroyed your kitchen, they're giving you a hard time about it, you're just not going to trust them and you're going to feel entitled to embellish your claims. Now I'm going to suspect you of embellishing your claims, which you are doing, and this tit for tat kind of it spirals upwards or downwards until the point where now you've got deep mistrust, you've got an insurance sector, 25% of Americans say it's okay to embellish claims. I like to quit that the other 75% were brought up not to admit that kind of thing to strangers. So in our telling, to kind of bring it back to your question, in our telling, there was a flaw that was fundamental and was business model driven, which is that you cannot build a lovable, trusty and trustworthy brand on top of a conflict of interest with your customers. You just can't. Agreed. And therefore, we had to go back and say, okay, we're going to build a new kind of insurance company. We're not going to sell technology to insurance companies. This is not something that you can just solve through technology. And we went off and created a new business model, which says, we're going to take a flat fee. You're going to pay us whatever you're going to pay us. We'll charge you for your homeowner's insurance, say $1,000 a year. We're telling you right now that 25% of that is our flat fee. And we created a financial structure that is unknown in the insurance space, whereby we've got these two ballasts that protect that 25% margin. Why? I mean, it's usually a challenge. How do insurance companies do that when they don't know if a storm is going to come through town or not? An earthquake is going to hit. So what we did is we said, look, on good years, there'll be money left over. We're not going to keep that money because that is the money that poisons the well between us and our customers. That's the, if I keep that money, then that is exactly what my customers suspect me of doing and will suspect me if I decline the claim. So instead, we're going to give it to charity. And we say to our customers, you tell us which charities you care about. And a few, few magical things happen at that point. One is I have no incentive to deny or delay your claim because I cannot make more money than my 25% of cats my upside. And if there's money left over, it's going to a charity of your choosing. And as soon as I'm not incented to deny or delay your claim, you start using technology to do stuff that's never been done before. A third of our claims are paid within seconds, instantaneously by the AI without any human intervention at all. Wow. So we broke world records in terms of payment of claims, customer satisfaction levels, NPS of 70. We're ranked number one in the entire US in terms of customer satisfaction on any customer website that you want to just read reviews on, rated 4.9 on the Apple App Store. So we start seeing really magical things happen when incentives align and then technology kicks in. I mean, it's really, uh, again, think about that. For everyone that's listening, something happens, a fire in your kitchen, and you get paid instantly. None of the hassle, none of the haggling, none of the stress. I mean, it really, that alone is groundbreaking in the industry. Tell us how you thought about using technology to build trust. And obviously, you guys had a lot of behavioral uh, science behind this. Just how did you think about the behavioral dynamics and technology to build trust, knowing that fundamentally, to your point, trust is just broken in so many parts of the financial services world? Absolutely. So it starts off with a recognition that our moral fiber is in no way superior to the moral fiber of executives and other insurance companies. You don't fix this by saying, trust me. You don't, even if you're well-intentioned, you don't imagine that your system will operate better or will engender trust more wholly just because you profess that you are pure of heart. It doesn't work that way. So what you have to do is you have to tie your hands. Um, in game theory, it's called uh, Ulysses contract. So the old legend of Ulysses, there were these uh, creatures with beguiling voices and anybody who got close to them would get devoured. And the seamen all thought that, oh, I trust myself. I'll pull back before the brink. I'll be able to hear the song of the sirens and not get killed in the process. And one by one, they got devoured by these womanoids who kind of ate them alive. 
And only Ulysses heard the song of the sirens because he tied his hands to the mast of the ship and he put wax in the ears of his ship hands. And therefore he couldn't change course even though he wanted to. And basically what he cracked is, don't trust your future self. If you want to create something different, you tie your hands to the mast of the ship and then you can't change course. So that's what we've done with that 25%. We've said, we're not better than anybody else. If we're tempted, we will also break or somehow bow to that temptation. So instead of that, we're going to change the game. The problem isn't the players, it's the game and we change the whole business model. Um, and right from the get-go, while Shai and I were in those early days, I reached out and managed to track down a Nobel laureate of game theory, a Nobel laureate of behavioral economics, and just kind of validate with them some of these things. And from the get-go, we wanted to say, how do we use social impact and give back and charitable elements of a business model, not simply to do good in the world, but to change the incentive structures and then the behavior structures. So the give back was the solution to that, and it changed this from a two-player game, it's me against you, to a three-player game, because now we've got the non-profit in the room, and if I deny your claim unnecessarily, I don't profit from it, they do, and if you embellish your claim, you're not hurting me, you're hurting the soup kitchen that you volunteer at on Sundays, and that changes the whole game. So that was one piece. And then the second thing is technology, when you layer things on top of that, and you, you can do a lot of neat things. So transparency is one. From day one, we've been publishing what we call the Transparency Chronicles, laying bare a lot of the things that we're doing. We've taken stances on some pretty controversial issues. We call it the Lemonade Stand. And we've taken a stand on guns, for example. So after the uh, massacre in Las Vegas, we decided that we're going to cap how much coverage we're going to offer to firearms, and we're going to stop ensuring military-grade weapons, and we're going to conditional coverage on the guns being securely stored and responsibly used. And all of these were first, and to my knowledge, still unique in the US. But of course, as a homeowner, insurance policy maker, we are insuring weapons. And because we give liability insurance, we're also insuring you against damage that you do with your weapons. So it's it's not something that we could turn a blind eye to. This is something that we had to take a position on, we felt, and we did. A few months later, we were the first American insurance company to say we're not going to invest in heavily polluting industries. So insurance companies in the US invest half a trillion dollars in the most polluting industries that exist. They're the second largest investor in polluting industries. And again, this is just madness because I'm insuring you against floods and fires and weather hazards. And if I'm a helpful life insurance company against asthma, and all the ills that are caused by pollution and by global warming. And the notion that I would take those premiums from you to ensure your life or your health or your property and invest them in the very things that cause damage to your life, your health, or your property, seemed to us absolutely outrageous. And so we, we took a stance on that. And I think being willing to say, these are dollars that I don't want, these are returns on investment that I don't want, helps engender trust as well. Wow. So a lot of those things, whether it's business model or taking a stance or how we built the app or the transparency, all of that helps. And with that, we'll be right back after this. During an alpine excursion in 1941, Swiss engineer George Demostral's dog got covered in burrs from a burdock plant. Demostral decided to study the burrs under a microscope and the thousands of tiny hooks on the surface of the burrs inspired him to develop Velcro. This creative breakthrough is brought to you by Airtable. Learn more and get a special offer for the Founders Project listeners at airtable.com slash Founders Project. So let's transition. And first of all, wow, and thank you. And I think that's one of the coolest things about what we're seeing um, happen today, which is just 
uh, we realize like what we do with our businesses and where we put money actually really matters and it changes societies. And um, so thank you for that. Uh, this April, you raised a massive round from SoftBank, hundreds of millions, $300 million infused into the company. You've seen this show before. You've done this work before. You are a seasoned executive. It was one of my favorite things that I got to ask you when we had breakfast together, which was you're really at the helm of, I'll say, you know, truly the bleeding edge of, of financial technology and I'm thinking differently. And now you get to go and you get to grow. So one, how do you kind of think about that capital infusion and, and what matters to you as you think about expanding, you know, you're expanding into Germany, um, you're going international, you can go into potentially other products. Walk us a little bit through that vision and, and kind of how you think about growing the company. Yeah, so I'll answer it in a, in a funny way. I think that insurance is going to undergo a revolution with or without us. We're trying to precipitate it. We're trying to ride the wave that it comes in on. But it's much, much, much bigger than us. And there's all different ways of thinking about it. We touched on a couple of them earlier. But one way that I like to think about it is if I ask you in 1799, who are the bastions of the world's data and who are home to its best statisticians, you'd have said insurance companies. Yep. Insurance companies are data companies. They're technology companies. Yet most big insurers do not think of themselves as technology companies. And it's probably the biggest flaw. Yeah. So that's really the point that I was driving at. So if 1789, if I asked that, you'd say insurance companies. In 1899, if I asked you that, you'd say insurance companies. Even in 1999, if I asked you that, you'd say insurance companies. In 2019, 20 years later, it wouldn't occur to you to say insurance companies. You'd say Google, you'd say anything but insurance companies. And you're absolutely right because the fundamental product of insurance is a probability theory. People talk about machine learning and data and what they're doing is it's a food delivery app and they're giving you sushi at the end of the day. But they'll still talk and it's not empty talk about how machine learning algorithms will allow them to optimize the route or how many falafel balls they have to stock. But at the end of the day, they're offering you sushi or falafel or whatever it is. Insurance is unique. It's one of the only industries where where you peel away everything else, what you're left with is an algorithm. And as impactful as machine learning and big data can be in other sectors, it can be amplified in insurance because it changes not everything around the product, but the core product itself, which is an algorithm in and of itself. And therefore, I think that changes coming to this industry for those structural reasons. These companies were just not built on an architecture that allows them to collect or deploy data in a way that even comes close to state-of-the-art in the 21st century. Which brings me to my kind of vision for, for Lemonade. What is it that we aspire to? Which is to become the 21st century incarnation of what a global insurance company should be. And to take full advantage of the fact that we are legacy-free. And that insurers that thrive in the 21st century are ones that were created in the 21st century. And that really translates into a sense of urgency because Nothing has changed in 300 years, but it's changing now. And I don't know how long this window remains open for, which is why we're moving fast. We're hiring fast. We're raising fast. And we're growing geographically and into new products at a rate that's pretty much unheard of. All of the brands that you're familiar with in the US, Geico and State Farm and Allstate and Farmers, all the companies with the name State and Farm in them, (laughs) they (laughs) they all operate in America, but they don't operate in Europe. And all the names in Europe, Generali, AXA, Allianz, venerable companies all, none of them are familiar household names in the US. And Lemonade, two and a bit years in market, has already expanded not only throughout the US, we cover 85% of the US population and growing all the time, but now we've launched on continental Europe as well, and we have a pan-European license. So I think being technologically driven allows us to grow at a rate and in ways that are just unheard of and and not, not easily replicated by traditional insurance models. 
Absolutely. And, and to your point, you're not um, burdened by the legacy infrastructure, the legacy technology, or the fact the data doesn't talk maybe across products, right? And a lot of the big insurers, you know, the, the technology stacks, uh, one product term insurance doesn't necessarily talk to disability insurance or talk to, you know, your long-term care insurance. But you built it with a green field and it can all talk to each other and potentially even create new products that we don't even know and see and can't think through. So huge vision. Let's talk a little bit about you. What has been the most fun for you as you've been building Lemonade? You, 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 to your point, you, you didn't start this like tripping over an idea and then all of a sudden seeing, wow, it's even bigger than we thought. You, you kind of started this, but which let's go boil the ocean and, and win at doing it. Um, but for you, what has been the moment that you've just been like, wow, this has been so special? Well, um, I have to tell you, I, I've it's been just a thrill for me. It really, really has. My partnership with Shai has been a godsend. It's been unbelievable, unlike any anything else that I've done before. The investors that we have are just unbelievably supportive, smart, forward-thinking, just the best people in the world. And we've managed to collect and bring around ourselves a team of people that is just a, a thrill to go to work with every day. So I know that sounds awfully gushing, and it's not kind of my style to always gush, but it's just say, it's true. Not, it's so, not your style to gush. So. <laughs> it's a British understatement. I mean, yeah, so, uh, so I have to tell you, I, I, I've enjoyed it immensely. I love these early stages. I love building brands from scratch, companies from scratch, cultures from scratch, organizations from scratch. I have worked in Fortune 500 companies. That's not my passion. My passion is these early stages and working on big problems um, with a green ocean or blue ocean, green field, all of that. So there's green in there. Really, that, there's just green in there. That's the only <laughs> thing that matters. It beats working. Okay, so I, I really want to understand sort of how you personally do it, right? So you're in Israel, you're in New York, you're in SF, you're flying around Europe, you're launching. What are the rules for, for Daniel? What are like the few principles that are required to make you healthy and tick properly? We want to better understand how you pull it off without being frazzled and, you know, in a position where you can't lead a company properly. So I have a lot of um, blessings that I'm grateful for. I, I mentioned my partner, Shai, who just takes so much of the heavy lifting off of me. I get to take credit for a lot of it, but he really does so much of the building and the hard work. And through him, of course, the rest of the team. I have my wife, who is my the love of my life and my, my life partner, and without whom I would never have started this, she pushed me to, and without whom I would never be able to do what I'm doing day in and day out. Um, and she's been my partner, and I talk everything through with her. Every woman in um, the studio is gushing right now. <laughs> <laughs> it's really true. I've, I've been so, so lucky and just amazing. But I also try... I travel a great deal and I work reasonably hard, but I do set boundaries. So I try in the evenings to turn off, to turn off my phone, to turn off things, hang out with Daniela, my wife, catch up with my boys. Um, I try to take vacations with them, go skiing, you know, do different things. So I do try to be reasonably disciplined about taking time off both every day a bit and every now and again a lot. I keep Shabbat. All my devices are off for 25 hours and it's just family time and board games and family meals. And you don't have to be religious to appreciate the power of that kind of, of commitment. Um, and it's life altering as well. So I do try to have kind of routines that allow me to keep my, my work, even though it's also my passion, keep it within certain confines. 
because this is, you know, the proverbial marathon, not a sprint. It's no good to just burn yourself out after nine months. We're in this for the next 20 years. I think I'm going to start keeping Shabbat. <laughs> I'm sitting, my head is spinning. I'm like, I mean, there was something to that, turning off all technology of all kinds. So, so important. Um, that's really, one, I'm thrilled you do that. That's amazing. And it probably sets such good culture for your team and for the people around you to say, catch your breath. Uh, you know, I think that's really important. Do you exercise? Uh, how do you get physical wellness? Yeah, I, I went for like 20 years without exercising, but actually in the last bunch of years, I've been pretty good at that. So I have a routine that I work out to. All I need is a computer and air conditioning. I don't go anywhere else. And I have this guy on the screen shouting at me that I should jump and what else I should do. So <laughs> it's a Tabata kind of workout. It's a pretty intense. It's called Insanity. And I, I do that a few times a week. I know a bunch of people who do that. That's, it's, an, <laughs> it's literally called Insanity. <laughs> <laughs> it is literally called it insanity and I'll try and do it when I get off a plane and I get into my hotel room and I've got a couple of hours I'll try and do it not every day but I do it a few times a week and, and that's really what I do for exercise that's so wonderful and so good to know um okay so uh last few questions here and, and these are some big ones so if you fast forward 10 years from now what does insurance look like just the whole category I think in many ways it will look not that different to how it does today and I think that what insurance is facing is it's kind of Amazon moment. So 20 years after Amazon became a big thing, we all know what's how transformative Amazon is. But retail still exists. And you can go into Macy's on the high street or Main Street or whatever, you know, it's 90% of transactions are still conducted the old fashioned way. But we all understand where the tides have turned and where the future lies. And you just have to look at the stock price of Walmart and compare it to Amazon to understand where the value creation has shifted to. Um, and I like to think that something similar is happening in insurance. And in my mind's eye, in Walmart all those years ago in the mid-90s, somebody around the boardroom said, oh, have you guys seen this new thing called Amazon? And I said, oh, we should follow this thing called the internet. Maybe it's interesting. And we can always buy them or we could make it ourselves. Hey, Jimmy, you know HTML. Can you do it? And what they do routinely is profoundly underestimate how transformative it is to build a company from scratch on a digital substrate and how you can't just stick a website in front of Walmart and become Amazon. And rather than the differences converging over time, they diverge over time. And 20 years later, we look back and say, wow, we never understood how fundamentally different the trajectory was. And in my mind's eye, if things go to plan, something similar happens in insurance, where those big companies are too big to fail anytime soon. In 10 years, they're all still, all the names that you know will still be there and they'll still be using brokers and they'll still have an innovation arm that's struggling to get something new and exciting to the table. And a lot of the newer customers and newer experiences and newer products will have shifted. And to your point, at the core, uh, insurance companies are data companies. And at the core, when you have cleaner, better, faster use of data, data begets better data, right? And it it begets everything which is better customer experiences and that's really what you did and that's uh you know if you step back what i think so special about lemonade is you just said let's think about the customer and let's think about what they love and let's go build that and nothing else and then let's build it new and clean and fresh so last questions I want to know, so you are such a special people person. Um, I've had the pleasure of getting to spend a lot of time with you. You give people incredible confidence. You're easy to be around. When you think about building the Lemonade team, so everybody that's listening, Lemonade definitely is hiring, lots of roles. 
what is the interview question when you have to make a really important hire and you have to add somebody to your team um, that's going to be you know fundamental to the trajectory of Lemonade? What kind of questions? Is there one question that you really ask that gets into that mind's eye of that human um, that tells you that they're the right person to be on the Lemonade team? What's your favorite interview question? I'll tell you my favorite interview question, but it, it doesn't meet that goal. So I don't know of one question that solves for everything. And we're looking for people with great judgment, looking for people who are data-driven in their day-to-day lives and use rational and data-driven methodologies to make all kinds of decisions. We look for people who are doers. Uh, we don't like you know, too many people who are executives or think about themselves as managing other people rather than doing it. We all carry a bag. We all have jobs to do. I, I don't have a personal assistant. I design my own uh, presentations. I keep my own calendar. And we like people who are in the culture of just get stuff done, I'll do it, don't worry, and no hierarchies and stuff like that. And you can never get literally all the way there. But as a mentality, that's certainly one that we try to promote. Um, look for people who are bold and unafraid and unafraid to fail and take big risks. And we certainly look for people who are pleasant to be around. And you know, one of the challenges is always when you have a star performer who isn't a good cultural fit. And those are the people who really have to be let go, um, not only fast, but publicly to send a message to the organization about where the values reside. So uh, we've had to do that already a few times, and we try to be pretty good about that and, and use those as learning opportunities for the organization. The one question that I tend to ask in an interview, for better or for worse, I'm not particularly advocating for it, but I tend to say to people, you seem wonderful, and I'm sure you know if you join us, we'll be lucky to have you. A year from now, uh, we'll be doing kind of a, an annual feedback session and I'll tell you how wonderful you are. And then I'll work really hard at finding some things to tell you that you could be doing better so that I give you kind of constructive feedback. Save me a year and tell me now what I'll tell you then. Um, <laughs> and I'm it's only a- laughing because I just asked this exact question in an interview to somebody. <laughs> Literally, this exact exact question. I was like, fast forward a year. What are we saying about you? Pros and cons. Go. Give me your review. That's a great one. It's awesome. Okay. So, Daniel, first of all, just so wonderful getting to have you. For everybody out there, Lemonade is fundamentally rewiring the insurance world. Daniel is a delightful leader at the helm of it. And the last thing we want to just get your one quick opinion on is if there's one company that's not Lemonade that we should know about that has hit your radar that you think is a super cool startup, what would it be, Daniel? Um, actually, uh, despite the obvious self-serving kind of nature of what I'm going to say, it would be a company called Freightos. Freight as in ships and freight. Um, Freightos, I say self-serving because my brother founded it. So I have a brother who's a serial entrepreneur and has had some incredible exits and incredible companies. And he's tackling something that is in some way similar to Lemonade, which is this endlessly big industry, which is still stuck in in such an old-fashioned and um, non-digital kind of way of doing business. So we all use Kayak or whatever you use to book your flights. And you've been booking digital flights. Flights have been booked digitally and through computer systems since the 1960s. But air freight is still today 99% manual, which is just nuts. And he's taking that on and the whole company is is tackling that and creating transformation in that industry. So if you ask me to pick one, it would be his company. How early are they? Um, they've been at it for a few years. 
I forget exactly, but maybe six or seven years into it. Oh, that's amazing. We're going to go find him and hunt him down. Um, Daniel, (laughs) thank you so, so much for being with us. Everybody, if you want to learn more about Lemonade, head right to www.lemonade.com. And please join us next week for Inc. The Founders Project. Thank you so much, Daniel, for all of the incredible lessons we learned today. A delight as always. Thank you all for listening. You can subscribe to Inks, the Founders Project with Alexa Montobel wherever your podcasts are offered.